0: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week. ICRT's roundup with the top news stories from around Taiwan. Today we'll be covering the last seven days. I'm Keith Manconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio today, as always, is Gavin Phipps, also of ICRT News. Good evening,
1: good afternoon, or good morning.
0: Whatever it might be, keep them guessing. Uh, And uh, we also have a very special lineup in studio with us today, reporters for both ...of Taiwan's major English-language daily newspapers... ...Yuan Ming-Ciao, is the social media editor at the China Post... ...along with Jason Pan, who reports for the Taipei Times. Bridging the gap today, guys. Welcome to both of you. It's great to be here. Good evening, friends. On the show today, spy versus spy versus everybody. Taiwan's government moves to take on what many believe to be a growing espionage crisis... Then in the second half, uh, the taxman cometh, and when he got here, he carted off all of Uber's office supplies. Excuse
2: me. I I believe you have my stapler.
0: Green Island is a little less green after an oil spill resulted in what some are saying could be the pristine island's worst ecological disaster in decades. And baseball fans are out for blood and maybe some better management, too. After Taiwan's national baseball team dropped out of the World Baseball Classic without a single victory late last week, we'll have Brandon Dubray of cpblenglish.com and our own sports expert, Jason Pan, to walk us through that one. But first, uh, we're going to be kicking things off with the biggest news of the week. Former President Ma ying has been indicted.
3: This case This makes it three for
0: three, by which I mean three presidents that have served out their terms since Taiwan's democratic transition, only to face indictment after leaving office. Uh, of course, that's former President Chen Sui-bian, who was eventually convicted for charges related to his role in a spate of corruption and money laundering cases. Uh, and Li dong was indicted for charges of embezzlement and money laundering, uh, but was later acquitted. Now, Ma Zhou has been indicted for allegedly abetting the leaking of confidential information about an ongoing criminal investigation during his time in office. Before we get to the indictment, though, Gavin, uh, let's try to get a handle on what this is all about. Uh, and to do that, we actually need to go all the
1: way back to a very eventful September back in 2013. Yeah, once upon a time in September of 2013, the former Prosecutor General Huang Xie Ming popped off to the presidential office and took ying Zhou's ear. Where he informed him of an ongoing investigation into DPP then caucus whip Ker Ching Ming, which also involved former legislative speaker Wang Jingping. Now, the conversation the former prosecutor general had with Ma Ying-jeou concerned wiretaps. Mm-hmm. Some of these wiretaps had picked up conversations between Ker and Wang. Mm-hmm. Now, the argument being that Ma was told because he's the head of state, and it was an administrative. Investigation, not a criminal investigation. Mm -hmm. But there lieth the controversy because nobody seems to know whether it's an administrative investigation or a criminal investigation. The former prosecutor was actually found guilty of telling Maing Joe these secrets a couple of years ago, and he, well, he retired already, so he couldn't be stripped of his post, but he retired, and I believe he paid a fine in lieu mm-hmm. of going to the big house.
0: Let's march that story just a little bit forward uh, so that our listeners who were not paying attention to Taiwan politics back in 2013 can make a bit more sense of that. So Ma gets this report of conversations between Ku and Wang, and then what he does is he tells then Premier Zhang Yi Hua and his chief of staff and Lord his chief junk. of staff, and then uh, everything gets exposed to the public.
1: The ironic thing is he told his chief of staff and the premier on the grounds that Ma was concerned that it could cause a scandal.
3: Well, mm. it did
1: cause a scandal because of right. course it all happened when the big dispute between Wang Jingping and Ma Ying Zhou was going on
0: it was in the midst of all that so there's layers and layers and layers and layers to this thing uh, which makes it uh, all the more difficult to get uh, a, a real handle on but uh, I guess the basic crux of the matter is a lot of people see this as being carried out as something of a vendetta by Ma against Wang and the folks that hold that view uh, believe that the divulging of all this information was basically uh, ma illicitly carrying out a political score and kind of blurring the lines between executive and judiciary to do that. Some folks believe illegally. So here we are.
1: He's actually been charged with violating the Criminal Code, the Communications Security and Surveillance Act, and just for good measure, the Personal Information Protection Act. So there you go. He's got all three of them. Hasn't he?
0: there we go that's a threefer
1: what we need is ross feingold because he's a lawyer and i spoke to him the other day you did indeed i did and he was in he was a busy man in washington yeah he's taiwan watchers there
0: important guy meeting important people all the way over in washington of course ross feingold would be the very same ross feingold who is a frequent contributor to this show and other uh spots here on icrt and uh, gavin spoke to him recently here's that conversation
1: So, of course, Ma Joe was indicted on Tuesday of this week on charges of violating the Criminal Code, the Communications, Security and Surveillance Act, and the Personal Information Protection Act. So, Ross, the indictment of yet another former head of state.
2: Yeah, and not just a former head of state, but also yet another politician. But the interesting thing here is that the, the, this is initiated uh, by the fact that Ko ming uh, the DPP leader in, in the legislative UN uh for many years uh, he was under investigation and, and Wang Jingping the speaker of the legislature at this time went to check on the status he uh, although speaker wang and and Gu are from different political parties they always got on well uh, so uh, speaker wang inquired with the prosecutors on the status of the investigation that this got reported up the chain of command to, uh, all the way up to the President, and then the President called in his aides and said, "Hey, we are we like I, I got to talk about this with you uh, so from from president ma 's perspective he just, obviously he doesn 't think he 's done anything wrong by discussing with his close in aides a criminal investigation involving the Speaker of the legislative u n It does show that could you could you as right uh, in taiwan 's democracy in taiwan 's legal system, you know, he 's saying, "I am the victim here. Uh, my personal data was illegally shared by the President Ma uh, by uh, you know, the fact of the uh, criminal investigation about me was illegally shared uh, by personnel who should not have been sharing it. Uh, the personnel happens to be the president. Ko went to the prosecutors and said i 'm the victim, please investigate this." Uh, So it does show that uh, very often everybody in Taiwan could get their day in court.
1: Of course, one of the problems with this case is the question of whether it was a criminal investigation or an administrative investigation, because, of course, Ma has said because it involved um, government officials and a f- the, the legislative speaker, of course, and he, of course, appoints the legislative speaker. So Ma's argument, it was, it was an administrative case rather than a criminal case. Do you think this makes any difference here, or the lines are rather blurred when it comes to criminal and administrative cases?
2: Well, the lines are blurred. It might technically make a difference if the judge who's going to hear this this case uh, that has been brought against President Ma, the, the, the in criminal charges, the indictment uh, buys President Ma's defense. Uh, so it might be a valid argument. We have, we have to keep in mind that uh, criminal cases and civil cases in Taiwan are, are adjudicated in ways very different than what most of uh, your your foreign listeners are used to who might be more familiar with a uh, U.S. or U.K. legal system. So President Ma can make that argument and a judge. Might might believe it, but uh, you know, for, for, the, for those of us trained in a Western legal system, when you have prosecutors investigating a target, as was the case here, uh, that usually means a crime has been alleged. Uh, that's the nature of prosecutors' work.
1: Right. I mean, what does it say about Taiwan, though? This is yet another former head of state who's basically been indicted.
2: Well, that's a great question. and In some ways, it goes to the transitional justice focus of President Tsai and the uh, DPP majority in, in the legislative U.N. As we know, they've taken a number of actions in, in the uh, nearly one year now that President Tsai has been in office. A lot of this is related to remedying past wrongs of the party state system that existed for many decades, and, and the most notable thing, of course, is Targeting the party assets of the Komin Dong or affiliated organizations. Uh, but there's been other, a number of other initiatives towards transitional justice, including reform of the legal system. Now, some would say that this shows that the legal system works. Now, others would say that actually this shows that, frankly, prosecutors and judges still lack uh, sufficient sophistication and, and the ability. To weigh when criminal charges are properly warranted, uh, and, and they have gone a bit too far in accepting again the arguments made by Ko Ming by saying i 'm a victim here. Uh, maybe a, a prosecutor in the United States would have looked at this and said well the the, the president is the head of you know ultimately the head of, of the government, and more junior people came and reported this to him, and then he discussed it with the premier. You know, where's the crime? Uh, you know, it, it seems a bit odd. Uh, you know, imagine the attorney general in the United States, you know, discussing an investigation with the president, which actually should not happen. Uh, but would uh, the president be indicted for receiving this information, even if it violated uh, existing administrative rules? Yeah, uh, you know, that that sounds like a reach, uh, at least in other legal systems. So, uh, it, it does call into question. Where, where is the prosecutorial discretion and the sophistication of the legal system, or do improvements need to be made? But uh, you know, an interesting thing to see also in this will be President size reaction, uh, especially as uh, she's a lawyer herself.
1: Right, I mean, do you see this case dragging out, or do you see prosecutors wanting to get it, well, basically packaged, bundled, and out the door as quick as possible?
2: Well, one thing we do know, and again, uh, We could look at this as a positive that uh, Taiwan has rule of law and has access to the judicial system by individuals, uh, by uh, victims, as well as the the accused. They do have rights. And one of the things we know from similar cases is the right of appeal and that, uh, let's say President Ma is found guilty at trial, Uh, he will appeal. This will then get into very arcane arguments about what the relevant uh, sections of the law mean. And those kinds of appeals in Taiwan can drag on for many years, uh, which will make this a political issue and not just a judicial issue spanning over multiple upcoming elections.
0: All right, once again, that was Ross Feingold. So, following uh, the news... ...of this indictment. Uh, Ma gave a little bit of a response, basically his response being that, uh, quote, "...legislators can get away with peddling their influence, but the people who uncovered the scandal have been prosecuted. Where is the justice?" So basically the point he's making there is, when he divulged that information, he was divulging what he believed to be a scandal of influence peddling by a legislative speaker, then-legislative speaker Wang Jinping, on behalf of Ku Jianming. ming so that's what he says was going on at the time. And uh, I guess he'll have his day in court, and the court will decide what they think about all that. Let's turn things over to our commentators in studio now. Uh, you guys have heard the comments from Ross Feingold. Jason, what do you think of all that?
3: I want to pick up on that, uh, that three form- former president has been indicted since Taiwan's uh, democratic uh, tra- uh, transition. Um, I think it represents... Um, that Taiwan democracy is still ongoing and there is a lot of uh, undefined, especially in the law regarding judicial power, pre- presidential power, and and that uh, some some of these, like for example, the other two presidents, Li Denhui and Chen Sui-bian, on some kind of a, a diplomatic fund or embezzlement. But these were... Some argument is that they were using for, you know, because of Taiwan's international isolation, they were having the, uh, you know, liberty to use this fund to conduct secret diplomacy. Hmm. Uh, whereas Ma Ying-jeou's case, uh, you might argue that he was not uh, clear, uh, defined on, you know, whether presidential power, he was just being, uh, in, in some case, under investigation, he wanted to, uh, uh, say, uh, get cracked down on some kind of a so-called influence peddling by some, uh, you know, uh other political figures. Mm-hmm. I think this also shows some problems with Taiwan judiciary. Some may say it's judiciary try to you know get, score political points, but I I believe a lot of it is just uh, you know transitional. Uh, in terms of Taiwan's democratic transition, we remember Taiwan is only like you know about two decades ago. It's still a sort of authoritarian uh, uh, kind of nation in which there was no. Free election, so mm-hmm. we're just experimenting or working out all the different uh, uh, working out the kinks. Power.
4: Yeah,
0: right. Well, that's certainly a point that former President Ma was making, uh, basically alleging that this is a politically motivated ruling. Uh, others within the KMT have been making that case as well, and it, you know it does raise the question. You have this track record of three former presidents all have faced some form of uh, judicial scrutiny some folks might ask as uh, I think Jason was hinting at there is it just the you know the new power going after the old power uh, Yuan Ming what did you make from this week of news well I think um, of course uh, Ma will have his day in court but
5: um, he will probably have to focus on you know uh, looking at the motivations behind that leak and uh, he will probably say look prosecutors are unable to prove um, what happened on the night of August 30th. You know, um, they they say you know they were trying to he, he was trying to get rid of Wang Jinping's uh, uh, political affiliation with the uh, KMT and his speakership. But uh, can they prove that? And also, they will also look at um, the role of the prosecutor general himself, uh, Mr. Huang. Um, was he leaking on his own volition? And um, also, what did he actually uh, brief the former Premier Zhang on, um, on September 4th? So these are two key things um, I think um, the case will look into. And I think um, we have to wait
0: for that to happen before we see what happens in this case. Mm. Because, of course, most of this... Uh, drama played out in public back in two thousand and thirteen, so there 's a lot of stuff that we do know. We know what it was that was released to the public. Uh, we know that you know wiretapping occurred, and we know that there was communications uh, but you 're saying that it will be really key uh, a key question to get to the motivation behind the leaks themselves
5: yeah, and also going back to that point about that public um um what the public was uh, exposed to, and, and the ambivalence I think about um, from Taiwanese uh, public opinion, I think is important to look at because you have Mindjo saying, "Look, I, I was, I was confronted with this huge uh, influence peddling thing. I had to do something," um, but then you have uh, members of the public saying, "Yeah." Th- there probably was influence peddling, but uh, second, um, I, we didn't really like the way that you handled it. So there mm-hmm. was this kind of ambivalence to this. You
1: know. Hey, but there were some great quotes about this. There's a whole whole, whole barrage <laughs> of quotes. Here we go. Pro- former President Ma Joe has said he is confident the courts will find him innocent of violating all the charges against him. And he also says that he's explained this situation to prosecutors on numerous occasions, and they've simply misunderstood him every time. Nobody understands me. The KMT caucus whip Wang Yu-min accused the Tsai government of engaging in the all-out political persecution of Ma. And Wang, also called... This is Wang Yu-min of the KMT, also said that the government should ensure that politics are kept out of the judicial system. Now, the former legislative speaker who was dragged into this, Wang Jinping, he told reporters on Tuesday of this week that he respects the legal process and he also denied engaging in any influence peddling back in 2013.
0: Well,
1: the quote of the week is from the DPP's Ker Jeng Ming, who basically told the reporters waiting outside the Legislative UN very directly that Ma's indictment is a sign that justice has finally been served. And he added, just for good measure and I'm sure for spite, that the indictment shows that Ma is guilty.
0: Mm, that is the take from unbiased observer Ker Ke Jing Ming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a quick point that we should make is that uh, Ma could face up to three years in jail. That would be the maximum penalty here. Although a lot of observers are expecting even if he does end up being convicted, uh, it will probably result in a mere fine. But again, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But we're going to have to round things uh, on that story out right there. Last up for the first half of the show, spies be everywhere in Taiwan. If... That is, if you believe the anonymously sourced reports. Yes, the government has been overrun by shadowy figures with nefarious intent. So says one shadowy and unnamed figure from within Taiwan's national security establishment, cited by local media earlier this week.
1: It's Eleven times. Oh, Eleven
5: times. Eleven times. Got the, a lot of play, that the, shadowy the, figure. The,
1: the, in one story, the newspaper will remain nameless. The unnamed official said, was quoted, yep. as in the unnamed official said... 11 times. Mhm. Specifically,
0: what that uh, shadowy figure was cited as saying is that Taiwan's National Security Authorities estimate that about 5,000 individuals are collecting state secrets in Taiwan on behalf of the Chinese government. Uh, and again, the claim is that those spies have infiltrated both the military and non-military government agencies. Mainland Affairs Council uh, yesterday denied that figure. Nevertheless, concerns over espionage have prompted many lawmakers to push for new legislation or previously introduced legislation uh, to be pushed forward to clamp down on the issue. Meanwhile, though civil liberties advocates uh, say some of those measures go too far. But even before all of that drama unfolded, uh, kind of this whole conversation on spies and espionage started off uh, a bit earlier, Gavin, with the arrest of a Chinese student on spying charges.
1: Yes, that was last Friday. A week ago, in fact, if you're listening to this, this Friday. Mm there you go.
0: Covering all our bases
1: there. he was a student, and apparently he was arrested, like you said, Keith, for spying for China. But the ironic thing, or the thing that I took away from that story was the fact that people that knew him said he loved Chiang (laughs) Kai-shek.
0: Interpret that however you want Apparently
1: to. he was a former student, so oh, he was okay. a dropout.
0: <laughs> well, he was just spending too much time on his Chiang Kai-shek fan club. In the pub? In the pub, yeah. he was a
1: dropout, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. That's what dropouts do, didn't they? They smoke cigarettes and got to the pub all
0: day. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't All the learned folks in this room, none of us would know. But
1: they, like you said, Keith, they both denied it. The Mainland Affairs Council denied there was 5,000 Chinese spies currently working for the government on Thursday. And I believe the Interior Ministry came out and said, basically, well, we don't know nothing about these spies because government agencies have mechanisms to deal with this and nobody's reporting that they're being spied upon.
0: And uh, But he
1: was one of them, of course, the student. The student who loved Chiang Kai-shek was just one of two spies, alleged spies, that have come mm-hmm. out this week. And apparently a former vice president, Annette Luz, one of her... Um, security detail, back mm-hmm. from 2000, when she was campaigning for the election then, he was arrested this week on spying charges. He was arrested on Monday on charges of violating the National Security Act.
0: Right. He, um, he played a number of other roles within government, but that's probably but he, the most high profile.
1: Well, he also worked for the Special Service Command Centre. Mm-hmm. Now, people who work for the Special Service Command Centre have a bevy of secrets mm-hmm. in their minds. Mm-hmm. And apparently he was char. he was paid by bay. He went, after he retired from the Special Service Command Centre, he popped off to China to do business, did a bit of business, and he was probably sitting in a coffee shop one day, and a rather suspicious chap probably sitting next to him and said, here, you want to make a bit of money? So he said, ooh, tell me how I can do that.
0: And Gavin the, sounds like he's been in one of those conversations and the, and the before.
1: alleged Chinese spy said to him, well, you can go back to Taiwan, you can set up spy rings for us and you can also persuade your former colleagues and, of course, don't forget members of the military police command. They can steal information for us.
0: But according to the government, when this guy got nabbed, his spy ring was a spy ring of one. It he was, got no yeah. takers. Well, maybe he was that's sp- a sad spy ring. Oh, no,
1: no, maybe he was maybe he was taking a poo. Maybe he was, maybe he was telling Beijing he had about 50 spies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe that's where the 5,000 <laughs> no, number came from. Ah, maybe he told this Beijing, guy's been inflating his had ring. He 5,000 of the buggers, and he was getting paid for every single one of them.
0: Mm. Uh, nevertheless, despite this guy's lack of success, all of this uh, general spy news has kind of set this pot a boil, and now the DPP caucus is pushing forward a formerly mothballed proposal on espionage and various ways that they want to clamp down on espionage, Gavin.
1: Yes, apparently this bill would cover espionage, but then, of course, there are parts of the bill that spill over into freedom of speech, one could call it, Mm. namely the media. Mm -hmm. Now... Apparently there's this draft bill has been out there for a while. In fact three times the both the Investigation Bureau and the Ministry of Justice have submitted three reports, three draft bills of this espionage bill. Mm-hmm. Um, none of them have been released to the public, basically.
0: We don't know what's in there. So we no, know some of the broad well, outlines. Some people
1: know, because apparently reports have said that the reports by the Investigation Bureau and the Ministry of Justice have been rejected by mm-hmm. what local media have referred to as an unnamed minister without portfolio.
0: OK. Uh, and it seems like the person doing the pushing was Tsai Ing-wen herself. She's so, a proponent of these so bills. So
1: reports have said that mm-hmm. one report said that President Tsai Ing-wen has repeatedly described the law as being a necessity. hmm Of course, that's, again, where you get the report from. Right. But, like I was saying, this is all spilled over into media freedom. Now, the Taiwan Media Watch came out this week and basically said, look, you don't have to enact a new law for this. If you want to catch spies, go catch spies, but I think you should leave the media and your moves to... Remove so-called fake news from the interweb away from any legislation to tackle espionage.
0: Yeah, fake news ended up being a part of this conversation as well that unfolded this week. Uh, the, the connection between fake news and espionage is a little bit unclear to me. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> slightly. Yeah, but the what we've seen so far, what, what's been reported in the Taipei Times, is that the draft proposes more severe punishments for security breaches... Uh, and gives counterintelligence agents, quote, semi-judicial rights to investigate cases of suspected espionage. So those are the things that are probably in this bill. A number of DPP lawmakers basically were making the case that a lot of folks that have been caught on spying charges have not gotten uh, strict enough punishments, and so this would address that. All right, so that is a huge jumble of news that we just sorted our way through.
3: Jason, what do you make of that? But there's um a lot of activities in terms of you know, catching spies and people uh uh talking about wow we have five thousand spies and where are they in Taiwan. This is uh the the green camp Yuan really reading d- defense saying they are like well, five yeah, they definitely there are even more. They are all penetrating our total uh, our whole country and government services and the whole society. And our radio studios yeah. <laughs> potentially. But on the other hand there are people saying "Oh, that's just hyping up yeah, yeah, a threat. But the government is saying we are doing is to protect our country. They are definitely threat to our national security. And well according to the government uh, spokesman they said these bills and these measures what Tsai Ing-wen and DBBB are pushing is to Try to, uh, defend, they'll try to defend they will try to defend the uh, privacy and also the human rights but there are of course doubts about that
0: right they, they they were promising some kind of legislative oversight of
3: whatever form this bill takes to address some of those concerns yeah. just just one more point the uh the fake news definitely you know well, it, it seems like a climb down of freedom but the chai wen and the dpp figure they are saying a lot of it coming because uh what the government wants to push through push through the judicial reform, the pension reform, and for example, some of the same-sex marriage bills. And some, are, of course, some many of these bills are controversial controversial. So what happened is that in some news outlet, there were purportedly uh, protesters being uh, say. One specific news is that saying, "Oh, the presidential presidential office car are having these uh, automatic assault rifles." And also they're saying uh, protesters are being beaten up. Anyway, the government is saying they want to counteract these uh, kind of fake news. So uh, they said because all these protest activity are, are coming up with all these uh, uh, accusations or uh, groundless uh, uh, allegations against what government measure to uh, protect the say government building or push a bill. So we'll see. What happens?
1: Misreporting by some of Taiwan's media. Of course, they all misreport, depending on their political bent.
0: So I guess maybe we can look forward to the day where a government representative looks over our shoulders and uh, makes sure that we don't say anything inaccurate. Oh,
1: look, hark, oh, that's a bit of a step backwards, isn't it, eh? <laughs> I find this spy thing a bit of a step backwards as well. While it's obviously a serious matter, when I first came here, you'd get on a bus and there'd be a sign on a bus saying, if you see a spy, report them. <laughs> on the public phones, they had this thing in the middle of the public phones when they were uh, round dial phones that said, if you hear a spy, if you see a spy, report them. And they'd have the number where you report them to them.
0: Ah, there we go. So harkening back to simpler times, uh, simpler times. Uh, Yuan Ming, what do you make of all this? Well, I think um, this proposed bill, uh, we
5: call it an anti-infiltration or anti-espionage bill. It's trying to do a, a bit of too much of everything. Um, and uh, with um, concerns with spies, I think... Um, and this uh, this purported 5000 spies uh number i think um, we have to realize that there are measures in place um uh, if if there weren't any measures we wouldn't have caught that uh chinese uh spy uh, that's chinese student spy um with regard to um the the fake news and the policy um it seems like there 's a contradiction here where the the espionage bill of, of course is dealing with um, the big bad china, uh, but when you 're dealing with fake news policy um, ambiguities or controversies that's uh, that 's not china that's that's that 's dealing with internal matters and um, the the um potentiality of trying to regulate that I find that very disturbing um, and I think uh, Jason would probably agree with me that is that uh, media we have to um, uh, responsible media needs to have sources that are verified we have to fact-check and um, this this is something that uh, news media is responsible for but government to to have government you know behind the back regulating um, I think that's a different story and if you look at Um, uh, proposed uh, clampdowns from different countries like Germany they're proposing how to regulate social media fake news it's a different they're taking a different they're proposing a different tact it's finding um, fake news that has already been posted um, and they give them a window uh, of uh, of hours to do that and um, there's nothing about you know First, regulating the content and then posting it.
1: Of course, all of this fake news, of course, is all coming out because, of course, what happened in your country, Keith, last year with... um, You're welcome. uh, um, Not such fake news.
0: You're welcome.
1: Possibly some exaggerations by certain people. Uh, (coughs) (coughs)
0: <coughs> you be careful with that, uh, with that talk. Uh, as, as we've heard from on high, uh, us media types are, of course, enemies of the American people. So
1: That's right. Bigly time. Anyway, get back to the matter of fake news here in Taiwan and how to deal with it. Well, the Taiwan Media Watch came out this week and said that media literacy education and media professionalism are better ways to fight fake news than enacting a controversial law. The National Communications Commission actually came out and said it plans to meet with representatives of owners of websites like Facebook, etc., and other online service providers next month sometime to discuss ways to curb the spread of so-called fake news via those outlets. And apparently the government has said that it's currently studying methods to tackle the spread of fake news on the Internet, which are currently being used in other countries. There we go. I presume the other countries don't mean police states. One would hope they don't mean police states, of course.
0: Long sigh. Long sigh. But we're going to have to round out the first half of the show. Up next, uh, ride-hailing app Uber pays the piper with its fax machines and stuff. Then the mysterious oil spill off the coast of Green Island remains mysterious and quite depressing. And Taiwan's baseball fans are crying foul after the national team suffered a humiliating loss in South Korea... But what does Jason Pan have to say about it? We'll find out soon when we return to Taiwan this week. Welcome back to Taiwan this week. ICRT's weekly roundup news from around Taiwan. I'm Keith Manconi, joined by Gavin Phipps, Jason Pan, and Yuan Ming Chao. Jumping back in, they ruled it illegal. They fired it up the wazoo, and now they've come for the office supplies. Uber, the tech company that offers the promise of bringing transportation into the sharing economy, has had a rough time of it here in Taiwan. Uh, of course, the company suspended its ride-hailing services. In Taiwan in mid-February of this year, following those fines I mentioned a second ago, uh, but even with its drivers off the roads, Gavin, the company still can't catch a break.
1: Yeah, the Ta- Uber Taiwan's offices were visited this week by members of the National Taxation Bureau, which also visited his banks. Where it froze 11.8 million NT in bank deposits held by Uber Taiwan, and in the offices of Uber, it seized their office equipment—staplers, desks, computers, you name oh, it. Who no, knows what? Machine. Whatever. Hey, yeah. maybe Uber Taiwan and the most expensive, like, espresso coffee machine.
0: I have there been to Uber's offices. I, I, I interviewed Do they have uh, their any CEO. Nice gear? It was a very sparse. Uh, it was a very sparse office. Ah, I was surprised. Maybe
1: they foresaw this coming. <laughs>
0: it could be. <laughs> they keep all the good stuff at home. Maybe, maybe they had
1: a spy in the government. Uh oh. Uh oh. This coming.
0: Uh oh. Said facetiously. We're not uh, hurling any accusations no. there. Of course. So,
1: Yunming, you reckon this is finally the <laughs> fake end of news? Uber? Fake news. Careful.
0: <laughs> finally, <laughs> the end of
1: Uber Ming. They have no office to work out of. They have no drivers, no money, and no office. Is it bye bye?
0: Well,
5: I mean, Uber has pulled out of China before, but uh, I think you have to look at Taiwan as just one of those uh, markets they've uh, they've hit a a wall. But it doesn't mean that they can't come back. I mean, I think you have to look at the wider context, but you could you should also see you know uh, maybe Taiwan in the future there are more there are different economic conditions um, a more vulnerable time where Uber might be able to establish a foothold. I think mm-hmm. it's too early to tell.
1: Of course, they have to buy some staplers first, wouldn't
3: they? <laughs> yeah, it, it, on paper it looks the for end of uh, Uber in Taiwan. However, uh, government officials say they're still uh, leaving the door open if they are willing to sit down with MOTC, the uh, the, the mm-hmm. government agency in charge of the transportation. Mm-hmm. Sit down and work out some uh, uh, say uh, amiable solution into both sides to allow Uber to uh, operate. So government is basically saying, let's sit down and let's see something. Or let you, we'll work out something. Or, you know, that that this new form of ride-sharing uh, information uh, mm-hmm. platform that uh, Uber is a, representing a new business that you know Taiwan should be able to uh, uh, allow it to uh, make uh, its business here.
2: Mm.
0: So holding out some hope there that they can reconcile with the government, find some regulatory scheme to keep the whole project going. Of course, the taxation issue is pretty interesting because Uber maintains that, you know, they're headquartered in a different country. uh, Their revenue is processed in a different country. So, you know, figuring out a taxation scheme within Taiwan has always been a sticking point with the government. Clearly now the government is pushing the point. They're holding firm on that point a little bit more.
1: Yeah, and in fact, the National Taxation Bureau has said that it was forced to seize all of Uber's assets because the ride-hailing service had failed to pay 51 million NT in owed taxes from 2015.
0: It's a chunk of change.
1: It is a chunk of change. And I'm sorry, anyone that's not paying 51 million NT in owed taxes, you've got a serious problem. And if you've got no staplers, I have no sympathy whatsoever.
0: I could be wrong. I believe that Uber's position would be that they don't owe those taxes to Taiwan. I believe that that would be their position. But clearly Taiwan does not agree. All right, so uh, we are going to charge on ahead. We spent so much time on the first half, we're just going to have to keep things going because we want to spend plenty of time on that baseball story at the end. Up next, Green Island, Taiwan's own little slice of paradise right off the southeast coast. It's having a bad week as well. A news surfaced last Friday that an oil spill from an as-yet unknown source spread around a 10-kilometre stretch of the island's northern coast, Gavin.
1: Yeah, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Administration, has said that cleanup operations at the oil spill area on Green Island are expected to, in fact, be completed today, mm. Friday. There you go. Apparently the oil spill covered some 10 kilometres along Green Island's north coast. Now, Green Island's a nice little island, a bit infested with tourists for me. It's a tourist island. Nice island. It's the whole island, point? Which is the point of it.
0: Wasn't always the point of the island, but that's the no, point now. No,
1: no, it, it was where people went when they weren't on holiday once upon a time to a once nice upon time. old building there that looked like a bunker where you had a little room to yourself. spent hours on your own. Apparently the most heavily polluted area on this oil spill stretched some 600 metres from the island's famous lighthouse, which of course is a tourist attraction on Green Island, Mm -hmm. as is the prison, as you said, Keith. Yep. And Between the lighthouse and Zhongliao Harbour. That's where the worst of it was. Now, the, the government have said, or basically marine authorities have said, that they are focusing on eight vessels currently as part of the investigation into the cause of the oil spill. And they also said that they haven't ruled out the possibility of getting some kind of international help. Mm-hmm. tracking down these vessels. Okay, so... they basically, they, they say, they, you can find the internet, you can see, you know, marine mm. vessels, you can find out who was where, what, when, what time, yeah? Right. Tracking, yes? So they know who was in waters off Green Island before this was reported, mm. and they now have narrowing it down.
0: There is a special place in hell for whatever whatever vessel decided just to dump all their crap into the ocean. Well, that's what
1: the government said, because they came out this week, and they said that, well, we're going to increase the maximum fine for marine pollution from the current 1.5 million NT to 300 million NT.
0: Yeah. And the point that they were making is that uh, something like uh, 615 kilograms of oil were dumped. So if you do the math, uh, even if they paid the current maximum fine whatever ship would only be paying about uh 2400 nt per kilogram uh and so that's not much of a deterrent for a ship that wants to get rid of its oil or that's what the government is saying all right uh i think uh we are running short on time so we are just gonna charge on through to our final story for the broadcast a sad story as that was hopefully somebody's brought to justice for it we'll have to wait and see what comes up in the future Finally, Taiwan's national baseball team struck out in Korea at the World Baseball Classic, and now baseball fans in Taiwan are striking out in anger, Gavin.
1: Yeah, this has to do with the World Baseball Classic that was played in Seoul in South Korea last week, where Taiwan's team went to Seoul on the back of great fanfare and you'll do really well like you did in 2013 and win all your group games and then lose in the next knockout round. But we won't get there. That's, that's grim. That's grim. That that's
0: was that was the positive expectation. That was, didn't even make that.
1: But it didn't even make that, no, because they went there and they did an England, which I should say, because the England soccer team does that every time it goes and plays an England cop. They go somewhere on the great fondness that it will do really well and then comes home four days later with zip, zero, nothing. But the controversy, lots of controversy about this, as we'll get into. But of course, the team did face a lot of criticism for doing so badly. Mm -hmm. But I spoke to the man, Mr. Baseball Taiwan, Brandon Dubray. He's the founder of the CP Bell English website. And I put that question to him quite succinctly and straightforward. He happened to disagree. So, good evening, Brandon. Good evening, Gavin. Okay, I mean, the big story is, did Taiwan really do that badly in Seoul and was the team's performance at the World Baseball Classic as below par as has been claimed by some? I mean, they lost 15-7 to the Israelis, they lost 6-5 to the Netherlands, and they lost 11-8 to South Korea. And both of those last two games, of course, they were doing quite well up until the last innings, one could say.
4: Yeah. um, Listen, I don't think that they underperformed. I really don't. I'm going to go against the grain here. Um, I mean, was their winless record disappointing? Absolutely, yes. Uh, anytime you finish an international tournament without a win in a country like this, people are going to be disappointed. But with the team they fielded, they didn't really underperform. Like you said, they played two very close games in what was the most difficult pool of the entire uh, WBC. Uh, the Netherlands is now into the semifinals, and Korea is uh, their, uh, their international baseball powerhouse, and they play them into extra innings.
1: And, of course, there was controversy about the Israeli team. Apparently they were Americans that had major league experience, not quite Israelis, as some might say.
4: Yeah, well, 27 of the 28 um, are actually kind of American uh, residents and not Israeli residents, but... That is the nature of the uh, World Baseball Classic. It's more to uh, kind of grow the brand of baseball around the world and allowing um, smaller countries like that to field a, a much better team.
1: Right. I mean, do you think the inclusion of Taiwan players who ply their trade in the United States could have turned things around in South Korea? And of course, these players include Chen Wei Yin of the Miami Marlins, Wang Ming, of course, who's now a free agent, Wang Wei Jong of the Milwaukee Brewers, and Cao Chin Hui, who of course now plays for the Long Island Ducks, who were apparently an Atlantic League of Professional Baseball team. I mean, they're all pitchers. Let's start with the fact they're all pitchers. But do you think if Taiwan had been able to include any of these players, it could have turned things around?
4: Well, you nailed it. You said that they're all pitchers, and that's where Taiwan needed help. Um, Coming into the tournament, we saw the pitching staff on paper, and it clearly looked like it would be the weakest part of the team, and that just proved to be true. Um, Taiwan just does not have the pitching depth here locally, to compete in a in a tournament like that, where you have to send out uh, you know eight nine pitchers to the mound over three games in a course of four days, uh, we just don't have the depth locally to compete. We need those guys from. Uh, America, the guys you said, and there's a few others as well. We need them on the national team. If we're going to compete um, with other countries who are sending their best, especially a team like the Netherlands, with five or six Major League Baseball players on the roster.
1: I mean, who out of the, the four I named, who would be the best fit, do you think, for the Taiwan team? Oh, well, definitely Chen Wei-in. He is a
4: legitimate uh, number two or number three uh, MLB starter Um, You also mentioned Wang Weicheng. He is an up-and-comer. There's other ones as well. Hu Jiu Wei would have been a solid pitcher, as well as uh, C.C. Lee.
1: Right. What about Wang Jingming? Of course, big name in Taiwan, a long time ago. Well, sadly, a very long time ago now. But do you think he could actually fit into the national team?
4: Well, like you said, big name a long time ago. He's getting a little old, uh, maybe a little bit past his expiry date. Um, But he is still effective. And with the with the actual pitchers that they had this year he would have fit right in and he would have been probably better than most of them we had so uh he would have helped
1: absolutely i mean could, could you see Wong coming back to taiwan at a later date maybe to become the national team's pitching coach
4: i'm not sure if he wants to get into coaching um from what i understand he's not done playing yet uh personally and this is just an opinion i would like to see him come and finish his career in the CPBL. Uh, he could make himself eligible for the draft. He would surely be uh, the number one pick in the midsummer draft, and he would just draw uh, you know record numbers of people to the stadiums and really create a little buzz around the local league so that 's what I would like to see first, and you know coaching a little further down the line, yeah, sure, why
1: not? Right, and of course there was some controversy about the picking of Taiwan's team for the World Baseball Classic long before the squad even jetted off to Seoul. And for our listeners, the dispute centred on charges by the Chinese Professional Baseball League that the Chinese Taipei Baseball Association was attempting to stymie its participation in the picking of the team's head coach and players ahead of the WBC. The Chinese Taipei Baseball Association is a government agency that oversees baseball at the national level while the Chinese Professional Baseball League league, well, that's simply Taiwan's equivalent of the MLB. The Chinese Taipei Baseball Association has faced charges of mismanagement and questionable finances, and it's been well documented that the CTBA and the CPBL have long squabbled over financial interests, and they both face allegations of failing to cooperate for the good of the sport. And sports fans here now have launched an online campaign calling for the CTBA to be disbanded or rebuilt, and for the association's chairman, Liao Jong Jing, to step down and while the taiwan professional baseball players association is also calling for more transparency and scrutiny of the island's national baseballing body so brandon how much do you think the dispute between the chinese taipei baseball association and the chinese professional baseball league and of course the limigo monkeys decision not to allow its players to join the national team in south korea this year affected the team's overall outcome
4: well, there's no doubt that it did, especially with the exclusion of the Lamigo Monkeys players. Um, specifically, Lamigo has uh, an outfielder named Wang Bo Rung, and he is the best player in the CPBL. He's one of the most exciting young baseball players Taiwan has seen uh, in, in probably a decade. Uh, he would have been their best player there. They surely missed him. They also missed uh, what would have been their starting catcher in Lin Hong. Yu. He's a power-hitting catcher, uh, obviously would have helped. Um, but... Uh, Somewhere where it might have hurt the most is Lamigo's closer. His name is Chen Yushun. He is much more reliable than the closer that Taiwan had to use, who is Chen Hongwen of the China Trust brothers. And whoever followed the games knows that Chen Wen actually took the loss late in the games against the Netherlands and South Korea with pretty poor performance. So having Chen Yushun there to close out the games, you never know. There could have been two wins for Chinese Taipei. Right?
1: do you think the team's morale might have been a bit dented with the ongoing dispute between the, TT, the CTBA rather and the CPBL? Well, I'm not too
4: sure about that. I think the players who were there were happy to be there. They were excited to be playing in the World Baseball Classic. From what I heard, they adopted a kind of it's us against the world mentality. Uh, we even saw that in the game against Korea. They went down... Uh, big early, they were down six nothing, and they fought back and rallied just when they looked like they were done. Now, ultimately, they lost the game. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure the morale was completely affected. I think those players are all. Good baseball players, they know they're good baseball players, and they played as hard as they could.
1: Right, and of course the dispute between the two baseball bodies has led to calls for a complete revamp of baseball in Taiwan. And Brandon, do you think a government agency should be in charge of the island's baseball, or do you think that all oversight should simply be handed over to the organisation that runs the National League?
4: Well, this is a difficult and complicated question, and we could go on for hours about this. But simply put, I don't think it necessarily has to be a government agency running the national team. But at the same time, I don't think it has to be the CPBL in charge either. That being said, what we know is that change is needed. The current system is not working. Uh, Both sides need to come together and agree on some kind of new system where they get together and they work together to feel that to field the best team that Taiwan possibly can. Uh, that did not happen at the WBC. So is a, a total overhaul needed? Uh, perhaps. And if that's the only way to get to the, uh, a better place, then you know, so be it.
1: Right? Do you think more former players need to be involved in baseball organization at a national level?
4: I personally think that baseball people must be involved uh, at a high position. Uh, you look at the MLB with guys like Joe Torre, who was a famous manager of the New York Yankees, and now he's very high up in uh, uh, USA baseball. Um, so, yes, I think more baseball guys would, would help, uh, less politicians. Um, yeah, more baseball people, absolutely.
0: And once again, we were speaking there to Brandon DuBray. Uh, He is the founder of cpblenglish.com, which you can go to if you are an English speaker looking for day-to-day updates on what's new in the Chinese Professional Baseball League in Taiwan. It's an excellent source for all things baseball in Taiwan. But let's uh, turn things over to another great source for sports in Taiwan, uh, Jason Pan. Of course... Baseball is the latest example, but uh, there are many examples of sports controversies and the feeling that uh, sports in general is not managed very well here mm-hmm. in Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, we can get to that in a second with you. But you actually have a little bit of uh, late-breaking news for us on this topic.
3: Yes, this happened uh, yesterday. In fact, it's all over the news. There's uh, quite dramatic development in terms of baseball, how the national team, uh, they held an executive meeting for the governing body, the Chinese Taipei Baseball Association, CTBA, which is bl- being blamed for the faults of the uh, national team. Uh, in fact, there's a meeting, and uh, they decided to give up the right to organize or directing the national team in the the big major baseball tournaments, the Premier 12 uh, WBC, the World Baseball Classic, and the Olympics, basically the, the really important ones that Taiwanese uh, fans care about. Um, from all sources and what news pundits said, they were under enormous political pressure because DPP and the uh, and the wen government does want change. They do want someone to their liking to direct the uh, CDBA i.e., uh, that is the Taiwan national team development, because there's a perception that it's being uh, interfered in terms of politics, that too many politicians are, are involved in there. So it's quite a big development because CTBA has been the one who's been saying we are the the only organization being recognized by the international uh, uh, community for being uh, as the window to in terms of international uh, tournament. So. What happened is that the the right is given to CPBL, the Taiwan Professional Baseball, to uh, set up, train, and you know go to international competition. And that seems like the proper way because CPBL with its four teams has all the the most of a team player. Uh, in fact, uh, but there are also we have you know the former you know Yankee. Uh, Wang Jianming and Chen Guoying, who are playing and several other good baseball players playing in the U.S., but they usually uh, opt out of being playing national team. So usually it's a CPBL who supply the players. So anyway, the controversy really people like CTBA on such a uh, big uh, fury, uh, fans. uh, In fact, the situation is that Taiwan fans are demanding for CTBA to be disbanded so uh, or rebuilt because so they are making uh, you know, some, a lot of noise and uh, you know even planning <coughs> a march.
1: Apparently, baseball fans are rallying in a couple of weeks in Taipei, calling for changes to the baseball That's, right. That's right. and things.
3: The march was uh, organized by groups of so-called patriotic fans, and they were going to surround the CTBA office building. Then they're going to march to the uh, sports administration. And they're gonna present a petition, saying couple of demands. They say, well, disband or reform the CTBA. Number two, all the politicians must be resigned. Uh, must not, no longer interfere in the baseball. And they they want this new sports bill to pass so that there'll be professional people, people relating to the games, you know, from amateur uh, to the CPBL or uh, players, ex-player, to run the CTBA rather than politicians and. They also, of course, the demand, they say, they push back to next Saturday. It was supposed to be tomorrow. But you know why they say Because they say, oh, we got such an enthusiastic response. Uh, 50,000 people already signed up. But actually, maybe, you, you know, usually don't get that much showed up when people sign up on online petition. But anyway, the Taiwanese fan, they say they are going to be uh, really active and demanding change. So... In light of the uh, perceived failure at the WPC,
1: so what are they yelling? Hands off our balls!
3: <laughs> oh dear, uh, you should be their speechwriter, Gavin.
0: Can you can make all their chants for them? So that is just a, a dollop of sports to get you angry and geared up and uh, ready for your weekend. We are going to turn now to uh, our final story for the podcast portion of the show. Of course, we always round out our show with a podcast bonus story, something on the lighter end of things. You know, sports wasn't really on the lighter end of things. I was hoping it was, but there's just too much anger and vitriol, even in the sports world these days. Gavin, can you bring us back from the brink?
1: Well, traditionally, I do a rather amusing story, or a a story I find rather amusing, (laughs) and if you don't as a listener, I really don't care. That's the ICRT
0: motto right there. We like it, and we don't care if you do.
1: I think I must have bashed my head the other week, because I had a moving story last week. Oh,
0: no, you're feeling faint?
1: And I've got another moving story this week. It's going. Today's story revolves around a 68-year-old woman from Jai County. Mm -hmm. she, She made her living collecting waste material from the streets of Jai, and she was ambling along one day, minding her own business, picking up the trash, and she found a package... Inside said package, 400,000 NT in cash. That's quite a find. Quite a big package as well when you think about 400,000 NT in cash. Asp-
0: yeah. Of course, And uh, especially, you know, what's she collecting? She's collecting like... especially recycling stuff, basically. Yeah, she's, and so she can hope at best maybe to make like 100 NT, 200 NT that 50 day. 50 plastic bottles that day, yeah. basically. Yeah. Anyway, yeah.
1: she found 400,000 NT in cash. In a package that was set up, sitting, lying next to a clothing recycling bin in shui Township. Well, what did ye elderly lady do? Well, she got on her bicycle. And no, she didn't cycle the other way very quickly. She cycled the speed an elderly woman would cycle to Shui-Sheng Police Station. And she handed over the packet of cash to the police in the station. She just handed it over. And I love the quote. Police say the woman told them that she was concerned about the person who might have lost it. Wow. What a nice, what a wow. nice elderly lady. And just to prove that she's a nice elderly lady, in recognition of the woman's moves, her name was Wu Huang Yu Sha, mm. Jai County Magistrate Jiang Hua Guan presented her this week with a certificate of merit at a ceremony... At The police
0: station, where's she handed in the money? There we go. There we go. That's heartwarming. That was heartwarming the whole way through. There you go. Of course, uh, this, this brings to memory the recent case of the ATM heist.
1: Oh, and the gentleman that found the package. In Some the
0: of the ne- money from the Nehu- ATM heist was uh stashed away in the Nehu Park. It was found by uh, another gentleman, yeah. but it didn't. It, that story wasn't nice the whole way through. No, he,
1: he, this stupid fool. <laughs> No, this man. Too
0: editorialize just edit a little bit.
1: No, this 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 man apparently who he found that money in the park, didn't he? And then didn't inform the busies or the authorities that he found it. Then when he was caught on film going home with the bag, of course, because somebody filmed him going home with a bag. They stuck it on the internet, and the police. He went home and he found a bag, yep. and he had to go admit to the police that I found a bag in the park where you told us still the money was hidden. Just keeping <laughs> it warm for you. Just keeping it warm for you guys. And well, he got done, didn't he? He got busted. He went yep. to court.
0: Poor guy. So there you go. Leave it, leave it to uh, the, the recycling collectors.
1: Leave it to a 68-year-old woman to do the sure. right thing.
0: There we go. There we go. Well, uh, let's ask our commentators. Yuan Ming, would you have given back that bag? 400,000 NT. You find it in a sack. You do. Uh, are, are, are you as stand-up? Do you have the same moral fiber as this 68-year-old uh, lady?
5: Was it was a really inspiring story. And... Oh, yeah. uh, I, I I do admit I I probably would have you know at least contemplated for at least a few seconds yeah but mm. yeah the right thing to do would be to turn it to the police I
3: don't know how for that came me out. it's a moral dilemma but <laughs> I will return to police right away on the knowledge that in these days in Taiwan there's public security camera all over the place That's and true. they track you all the time Easy so to get caught. Yeah, hand over it right away.
1: So. I'd actually hand it over as well. There's no moral dilemma there. I'd be more concerned about being it forgery. If you found 400 grand in notes, you'd be going, hang on a minute, how do I know this is real? I'm not walking into a shop and using this, and then they find out it's a forgery and track me down.
0: There you go, because especially if it's in thousands, they yeah. always <laughs> check that. Yeah, yeah. They always <laughs> check that. There we go. That's, that's some life advice there to close out the show up from... Gavin Phipps. Wow. So uh, everybody's saying that they'd give it back. I guess that just uh, goes to show that uh, folks at newspapers are getting paid too much these
3: days.
1: (laughs) No, no. We're honestly decent folks. Ah,
0: that's what it is.
1: And if you're going to nick 400 grand, you're not going to tell anyone, are you?
0: That's, That's the important, especially not on the radio. All right, we'll have to leave it there for today. That is it for the show. Please do join us again next time. Time in This Week broadcast every Friday evening during the 8 p.m. hour right here on ICRT FM 100, around about 8.15 p.m. You can also find an extended version of the show online at the ICRT website, on iTunes, a couple of other places as well. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I am Keith Menconi, joined by Gavin Phipps.
1: Yeah, hands off our balls.
0: <clears throat> So they say, Jason Pan. Thanks and good evening. That was, that was a nicer sign-off, thank you. And Yuan Ming Goodbye. Uh, thank you very much. I'm so disappointed. No sparks flew this whole time. You were you were collegial and respectful to one another. I was I was expecting more from arch rivals. But we'll have to we'll have to take what we can get. Thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan this week.